as an undergrad, you're really excited about lots of things. You spend a lot of time in your graduate school getting super focused and narrow in what the kinds of things you're doing, and then you pop out the other side. And for me, it just has keep broadening and broadening and broadening every year. Hello, and welcome to Just Questions, where I talk to researchers and students about their research questions and how they ask them. And this episode we have Dr. Corey Moreau, and I'm at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago in the United States. So I work on the evolution of ants. So what I'm really interested in is why there's so many species, why they found where they are, why is it that some parts of the world have more species than other, and then also what are the aspects of their ecology or their behavior or their associations with other organisms, their symbiosis that explains that diversity. Mm-hmm. What kind of methods do you use to answer these questions? So we use a lot of molecular methods in my lab. Um, So we use a lot of molecular biology, we use comparative genomics, we use microbiology. Those are the kinds of tools we use. I want to know about initial days of your research. So what was the first research question that you asked? Oh, that's a good question. So as an undergraduate, I started working in a molecular uh, systematics lab Uh, addressing questions on insect evolution. And I was really fortunate because I had a great undergrad advisor who was very supportive. And so he helped me get a grant to sort of just ask questions I was interested in. So I started studying different insect groups um, and sequencing DNA from them. I didn't have a specific question at the time, but I, I was interested in sort of diversity. And so when he saw this, he said, well, listen, I have a data set you could analyze that you could then write as a first authored paper if you do all the work. And I thought, of course, thought that was a great idea. And so actually the first paper I ever published was on the phylogeny of Odonata, the dragonflies and damselflies. So was that was that more of a um, genetics-related question? Yeah, so it was analyzing molecular data to look at evolutionary relationships. <laughs> During your initial days of your PhD, How did you come up with questions that you worked on? So during my initial days of my PhD, I mean, one of which I was already really interested in ant evolution. Um, So I already kind of knew which direction I wanted to go and I knew kind of the methods I wanted to use. My PhD ended up having two parts. One was sort of higher level, sort of looking at what explained diversity of ants generally. And then I also focused on a single genus and I also looked there for similar kinds of questions. But a lot of it was in conversations with my PhD advisors, and that really helped shape what I did. Mm -hmm. So the kind of questions that you asked uh, from your first initial question to now, has it been changing? Yeah, I think a lot of what you do in your graduate career is you spend a lot of time focusing on very specific questions. So meaning that you have to keep narrowing and narrowing and narrowing because part of doing a PhD is you become an expert on something that no one knows anything else about. And so that means that you spend time sort of uh, learning methods or learning you know, a group of organisms in a way that no one else has studied them. And uh, I've really enjoyed that process. But I think for me what's happened since then is you finish a PhD and that sort of, you now are an expert in a taxonomic group or in a particular set of methods. And that opens the door to start asking broader and broader questions. So for me, it was sort of like, as an undergrad, you're really excited about lots of things. You spend a lot of time in your graduate school getting super focused and narrow in what the kinds of things you're doing. And then you pop out the other side. And for me, it just has keep broadening and broadening and broadening every year. So now I'm asking you know, more and more interrelated questions and using more and more techniques based on what I keep finding. Mm-hmm. What, according to you, uh, makes a good question to ask? I think when you're asking a good research question, um, you have to make sure that the methods and the system you're using are appropriate for the question you're asking, mm-hmm. and that 
the question you're asking could have implications outside of your group alone. And I don't mean that it has to cure cancer or anything like that. But just more like if you're studying biodiversity patterns in ant, could that tell us something about the other organisms in that same environment? Do you see a similar pattern in birds? Do you see a similar pattern in mammals? And if you don't, well, what explains the fact that you don't see similar patterns, you know? And I think it's interesting to always put your research in the context of sort of the broader literature. And where do you get your ideas from usually? I think for me it's, you know, at this point it's from two sources, one of which is from reading the primary literature. Somebody will either propose a question that I'm like, oh, I could actually, I think, you know, the group of organisms I work on could address it better or address it in a different way. The other part of that is sometimes as you're reading scientific literature, you're like, oh, they asked this question, but they could have gone this one step further and asked something even better or even in a broader context. So then I'll be like, okay, I'm going to try that. But for me, most of what I do actually comes from tackling a question and I get an answer, but what happens is it opens up more questions than it answers, right? So I might reach a conclusion, but really what I know is almost nothing, right? I mean, so for me, it's really about letting the data tell me what the next question to ask is. Mm -hmm. Of all the ideas and uh, research that you've done, do you have any pet idea? And, And by pet idea, you mean? Your favorite idea that you've had or you've worked on? Wow. Um, I think for me, it's really been about accepting that you can't study one question or one group of organisms in isolation. And so, you know, I started out my career studying ant evolution and just thinking about ants. But then I started to realize, like, well, I have to think about where they're found on the planet. And... Where do they live in that environment? So do they live in the ground? Do they live in the trees? Well, if they live in the trees, what kind of trees do they associate with? And then if they're living in trees, what are they eating? Well, how are they getting enough nutrients from that? Well, you know, and then so it's always been this sort of like one question leads to the next question, but everything becomes super interconnected. And I think for me, that's where the the next frontier of science is. And also what gets me excited every day. So for me, I think it's, that will always be my question is sort of how do we fully understand an organism and all the things that are are shaping its ecology or evolution. And and you have to think about everything it interacts with in the environment. How much rainfall does it get, you know? I I mean, there's like an, an unlimited number of kinds of things that can influence an organism. And so trying to trying to control or test every one of those that you can. We'll never be able to create as complex a system is what we really see in nature. But instead of just thinking about your one group, thinking about it in that broader you know, environment, I think it's important. See, I, I know that you're very interested in science communication. How did you start off in the beginning? So I think I was always interested in science communication, but I, I think when I realized I needed to work actively at it, actually, was when I was in graduate school and I was about to have a really you know, important paper for my graduate um, research be published. And I went home uh, to visit my family at the holidays and I went out with my dad and his golf buddies, and they always meet every week. And so I would, you know, I've, I've known them for years. And my dad had told them, oh, I'm so excited. Corey has a really big paper coming out. And so when I got there, they're like, your dad said you have something really important coming out research-wise. What is it? And I started talking, and I was talking with so much jargon because I hadn't had to explain why. I mean, I was in the middle of graduate school. I hadn't explained my research to anyone except other academics. And I realized as I was speaking, I could watch their eyes glaze over. And they were too polite to say to me, like, I have no idea what you're talking about and this is boring. But I couldn't rescue it. And I knew at that moment, like, I have got to always work harder to be able to share what I do with anyone that I meet. So that was a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. So how did you start improving on communicating your science to general public? I think for me it was really about trying to think of words that are non-jargony, right? I still am actively working on it, um, and you always will. 
but it was also that it's kind of like trial by fire, meaning like, you know, I, I try to talk about what I do with anyone who will listen, but I try to look for those cues, like when are they zoning out? Oh, that word has, you know, made them grimace. So clearly that word means nothing to them. So can I think of another word? So sometimes during a sentence, I'll say something and I'll be say like, oh, well, the morphology of this organism, you can see them look like what? And then I'm like, the anatomy, the body of it, you know, you have to keep changing your own language. So for me, that was really the bulk of it. And also, you know, one of the things we actively do in my lab group is that we'll practice our, like, we call them elevator speeches, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, you know, trying to tell what you do in under two minutes. And we all take turns doing it from time to time. And it's, you know, really hard to explain what you do in two minutes. And it's certainly hard to do it at a level that anyone can understand. And share, even among other scientists, like doing it in front of other scientists, like they can help you improve that. I mean, everything in science happens through hard work and practice, right? Whether it's you're learning a method or you're learning an analysis or whether, you know, you're learning how to share your science better. And so, you know, if you're going to a conference... You have to practice your talk. I mean, you know, I have to practice my elevator speech, and I will for the rest of my life. And any academic who says, oh, well, I'm so senior now. I don't need to practice my talks anymore. Go see their talks. I bet they're not that good. (laughs) Okay. So final question. Do you have any general advice to students that might be starting off with their research? I think my general advice for students is to pick a project that's doable and that is a bit risky. But you should always have a fallback plan, meaning, like, you should aim high but always make sure that even if that fails, that you still are going to have something that's publishable, right, or presentable. And so I think it's students often fall in one of two categories. They're really careful, so then they aren't asking really compelling questions, right? They're almost replicating what's been done 30 times, and I think that that's too safe. On the other hand, you often hear students who are just like, I'm going to solve blank, and you're like, how would you do that? oh, well, I'll create this really complex system and I'll use all these crazy tools and then it's like, well, what if the answer is boring? Or the answer is no, or your methods can't even address it. Then what do you have to you know, publish in the end? And so I think it's, you want to aim high, but you want to know what's the safety net. Thanks very much, Cody. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and to summarize this episode. Put your research in the context of broader literature. Practice explaining your research to non-specialists. Pick a project that is a bit risky and doable, but have a backup plan as well. Let your data tell what the next question could be. Do you have an elevator speech ready for your research yet? Before you start getting ready, check out all the cool research and outreach done by Corey's lab at morolab.org. M-O-R-E-A-U-Lab.org. Follow Just Questions on iTunes and SoundCloud. And follow your host on Twitter at Ravindra underscore PN.